So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here's the answer. I'm A.J. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. It has been a busy couple weeks, and I owe all our listeners uh, an apology over the last week and a half. We have been switching over audio editors, and um, that uh, has been a little rough. So I apologize last couple episodes. Um, in fact, I think we even had to take one down, re-upload it because of quality. So sorry about that, guys. That's a little disruptive and annoying. I was very frustrated. Um, but I think we got that stuff solved. I think we're on a good solid path now. So we will continue forward um, and keep putting them out. And hopefully the quality is up to par with expectation. Um, all right. So I wanted to give you guys a quick update on what's been going on. I uh, got some good feedback from one of our last ones. I just got back from Kansas City. From, uh, anybody that follows me on Instagram saw a bunch of that. We're buying a 100,000 square foot storage facility there. Um, and it was awesome. I'm going to go really in depth into that in the self-storage income podcast uh, about the value add and why we're buying it. Um, but it was the first time ever that we're getting a, a storage facility and it came in a million under the uh, appraisal. Um, so totally stoked about that. Uh, that's going to be a great one for our investors that are coming in on that one and a good one to start that out for the private equity company side. That's our first deal. Um, with that too, we are getting ready to launch a few new products that we're getting in the middle of getting patented on our online companies. I've been doing a whole bunch of stuff for the, um, the benefits side, uh, as some people know, I own a uh, benefits brokerage firm where we consult with clients on their insurance dollars and self-funded dollars and how to move all that stuff around. So we work with um, large companies and and manage those funds. And so I've uh, been doing a bunch of stuff on that because we will design and create markets um, for people to participate in. Um, and it's it has been a very, probably one of the more busy years that I've ever had. Um, 2020 is turning out to be a great year packed with massive opportunity. Um, but with that said, uh, never before has a year been more hated. And, uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, a, you know, there's so much flipping noise out there and I'm not talking about this year and what's going on in it. Cause frankly, I, think everyone's sick of it and nobody really cares. Uh, it starts to get beyond old and our fatigue associated with everything in 2022 is just beyond. Um, and it, with all the frustration and everything going on, you hear so much noise and all this crap. And so many people are talking about things like, you know, America not either being what it's meant to be or on and on and on. And um, I've had some conversations and I had one in a conference with that I was in and I was a panel speaker. And, um, I was very, uh, I, I was very upfront. The, the question was, do you still invest in America and how's that going to play? And, um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that today and talk about the economics of the United States. Um, it being the reserve currency, the outlook for our markets. Markets, including the debt markets, the CMBS markets, 
the publicly traded ones as well as the stock markets, all that kind of stuff and all, all that what's going on, what we're seeing, the banks that we're working with, what they're seeing, what everybody's hearing um, and get into the, really the shape of it and uh, how our outlook is being changed. I know I, you know, I've very fortunate to talk to a lot of people that are in um, very, you know, privileged places as far as the opportunities of information that they have. And it's interesting when you hear people that are actually working within the system and actually running a lot of these things. And then you turn on the news or listen to people speak and you're like, wow, they're totally not even remotely close to what's going on. Um, and I think a lot of this is a lack of context and that's what I want to bring in today. So one of the discussions that I have that people don't understand that the United States, you know, we are an amazing people. And the reason why we're amazing is because we are all so flipping different. Um, we are so diverse and we have so many different wants, needs, um, and we are far from perfect and we never will be. And in fact, I think that's actually a very prideful thing about us is we, we, we take pride in our imperfections. Um, and, uh, we fight in America. We fight hard. We fight very passionately against things that we don't believe in. We fight very passionately against injustice and why other people from the outside look at that as being a mess and being a bad thing. They have to understand that that's what makes us great. And that's part of the process. Um, the process of the United States is that we get to fight and that we have these battles and we have these cultural things that go on. Um, and we don't just accept what governments tell us to do, nor public opinion. And we try and test everything that is brought before us. That is what makes us great. And it's what makes us great in the long term. Short term, it can seem quite messy. Um, and that's fine. And I think Americans, we're okay with that. Uh, one of the things, though, that you get is a lack of understanding of the foundation that makes it possible for this to happen and how that in turn results um, that are generated from these kind of activities and this noise and different things that come from the outside to affect our country, culture, etc. Um, first of all, this is not something we've never seen in the United States, the 2020 viruses, wars, on and on and on and on. It comes, it goes. It always will. It never will go away. Um, and if you think that it will go away, well, just go bury yourself in a cave somewhere because um, you're going to need to. It's going to get messy and it'll always be messy. And um, we need to learn how to deal with it, understand what it means. But as far as fracturing the foundation and our economy being crippled and going away and that we need to flee the dollar and that the dollar won't be the reserve currency anymore. Um, I'm sorry, that's just BS. Uh, that's BS and we know it's BS because of history. I don't care what you look at and how you look at it. Uh, Americans have always been passionate through the 70s, 80s, 91, 93, 99, 2001, 2008, 40s, 30s, continue, 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 on and on and on, label any 20, 30 years and there's social uprival, all that kind of stuff. Um, 
But one thing that's always come out of it is we are better off from them. Um, and we will be for this. It's just another step. And uh, um, change hurts. Um, and uh, things happen to us in the economy. And uh, financially, um, you know, economically, socially, whatever whatever it is, you name it, uh, 2020, people are like, oh, yeah, but everything's happening at once. And you're like, well, these are just symptoms of a... Uh, a period of time. So 2020 is the symptoms of what has been going on. It's the symptoms of increased debts. It's the symptoms of asset prices rising while incomes don't. It is the symptoms. These are economic symptoms that cause social upheaval. Um, Social upheaval started in 2008. It has not stopped. It is an economic symptom. Um, And that's important to understand. And as we know, this happened in the 40s, and this happened when we had inflation, and they happened every time you have this. It, what happens in these economic crises is social injustices, all these different things get surfaced to the top. People feel ignored, downtrodden, um, and it takes time for our economy and society to all catch up with what's going on and be on the same playing field. That, that creates massive turmoil. Um, and one of the things that you've got to do is you got to look at it, the big picture and not make short-term decisions. And two, you got to not time markets. Um, I just can't express this enough. Use solid long-term views that has helped us escape a lot of different things. We got out of gyms a long time ago for economic reasons and economic reasons were very similar to what's going on and looking at the future. We got into storage because of long-term trends and long-term economic outlooks. We've got into other businesses as well from that, and we have been very fortunate for those decisions. Um, we were never trying to make a quick buck. That's never been part of the process. We've always been okay working hard to go with long-term outlook. Um, and the first thing I want to talk about before we get into different trends, what we're seeing, why these outlooks are important and the economic, um, I don't want to say indicators, the economic drivers that are creating the shift in different asset classes, as well as our country. But let's get, let's get right back to the, to, to the start. Okay. So we're going to go clear back to 1944. 1944 is at a very important date for the United States which is still the very, a very important date. In fact, probably one of the most important. That's when the whole entire world, roughly over 700 delegates, got together and decided that the U.S. dollar, the almighty dollar, should be the world's reserve currency. That's important for many reasons, but that's really important to America because it is a thing of strength. Now, I know... You've probably heard on the news and everybody's talking about how we're going to lose our standing as the reserve currency. Well, they can join the line. And when they said that in the 70s, they can join the line when that was said in the late 60s, early 90s, late 90s, 2008. And I'm going to talk to you why that's not happening or going anywhere soon. Now, let me be very clear. This is not simply a, you know, America, we rock, blah, 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 crap. It's not it. This is a... um uh, trying to look at the reality of the situation, America, we have so many problems. Um, but it's also the realization that everybody does. We're really loud about ours. And sometimes we do things that are really bad and we call each other out on it and that will continue and that better not ever stop in America. Um, so 
I'm not saying that we're perfect, and I'm not even saying that we're the best at everything or anything like that. This is not some pro-America thing. So let's just get that off the table right now. We suck at a lot of things, um, which I'm okay with, and I think all Americans are. Um, with that said, back to 1944. So a few things happened after the wars. Um, after World War II, America did some things that were really, really nice. You know, we were, we're, we're pretty nice guys. We gave back all the countries that we had gone over and saved. Um, and the stipulations were very little. We gave them back and then we gave them money to rebuild their countries. We asked for a few things. Um, one of those things were we wanted bases. So these countries were literally falling apart and they were, they were in shambles and we took land from each one of the countries and we put bases on them for our military to be there and help and make sure that nobody rose up again. This was a strategic move that was incredible. Um, you know, hindsight's 2020 and those guys look like they're flipping smart. Uh, we have the most bases in the world uh, in for, on foreign soil, much more than other countries. I think the next country, the next country with the most bases on foreign soil is like two or three bases. We have something like 30. Um, and we can strategically align our efforts across the globe with that. Um, that has helped us keep our allies close, but it's also done another thing. It's shifted responsibility. So, you know, every, nobody wants America to be the world police until they need them. And um, that's kind of true. So what they've done is they've shifted a lot of those dollars because we came in, do dollars, excuse me, they shifted a lot of their currency to other things. We came in and they have uh, agreements and treaties with us. We'll protect them. And so instead they spent their money on other things and we spent ours on military might. Um, good or bad, that's not the point here. The point is that's what happened. And now we're in a situation where our military is bigger than the size of the next I think, eight largest combined. It's just crazy. Um, but it also allowed them to basically get their own private security. And uh, that helped us build very strong allies. Now, when we did this and because of this in 1944, over 700 delegates agreed to use the United States dollar as the reserve currency because we were stable, we were independent, and our government structure allowed them to not have to worry. Um, we weren't going to take over businesses. We weren't going to take over um, you know, different currencies. And most importantly, we weren't going to screw them. So when we became the world currency, which was not something we mandated or anything else like that, it was agreed upon by over 700 nations. Um, that created a situation where they used the, our dollars to stabilize their economies. This is very, very good. Now, when you look at places like Brazil, when you look at places like Venezuela, when you look at places like Saudi Arabia or any of the other hundreds of countries that are very unstable as far as lending and pricings of goods and services go. Well, how do you stop currencies from fluctuating, right? How do you stop there from being price inefficiencies? How do you stop there from, how do you make it so your, your, your economy doesn't just crumble every 20 years? Um, they do that through the dollar. So what happens is we do things called swaps. When 
countries get unstable, they have to stabilize their prices, their goods, their services, their lending abilities, their banks have to be good. Well, we do swaps. And what that means is we trade out their currencies. We say, okay, listen, your currency's crappy. Ours isn't. We'll give you our currency. That'll stabilize. Once you guys are better, back on good solid feet, we'll swap back. And then you give us interest rate to pay for it. Um, and you pay us interest on that. Well, that is a very good thing. And that's created mass stability across the world. Um, now everybody's like, well, what about 2008? What about now? Yeah, you're right. We still have downturns. I'm not saying we don't. But compared to before, where everybody just went over and tried to take the next country over and killed everybody, um, the world has been astronomically stable for the last 50 years. We're still a horrible, messy place. But at the end of the day, in the last 20 years alone, we've taken something like 60% of all the world poverty out, a billion people just in the first 10 years of 2000 left extreme poverty. Um, today, the middle class in America and other first world countries live better than the richest man that's ever lived, lived Rockefeller. So we have to keep things in perspective. We have to keep things and look at the long term. And a lot of this stable, uh, stability came from our ability to share, to work together as one. The allies became very strong there was confidence and the dollar worked. All right. I know this is a totally boring history lesson, but it's important because when people talk about the dollar losing and going away, they need to understand that first of all, 63% of all currency holdings in the entire world are held in dollar. 90% of all foreign exchange trades are done in dollar. Um, we have a network effect. So everyone in technology, they understand network effect, right? That was the whole thing about Bitcoin. They're like, you know, Bitcoin's strong because of the network effect. I mean, okay, yeah, but the United States, the dollar has the network effect and it also has a cash flowing asset called the United States to back it. Um, and 50% of every single, all the debt in the world is backed by dollars. Network effects are hard to get rid of. You cannot just flip a switch and have that change. It doesn't work like that. The countries would be committing suicide by doing it. They're already unstable. And what they would need in return is an extremely stable currency, government, and outlook to hold their country together. Now, there's a few people that are wanting to become the world currency. Now, to let me make this very clear. The United States will not always probably be the, no, not probably. It won't. It won't always be the reserve currency. It's it, Nothing lasts forever. It's going to go away. Somebody's going to rise up. Somebody's going to become better. And we're going to do something stupid in the United States of epic proportions. It just That's life. That happens. Um, so I'm not saying we're never going away or anything, but I'm, I'm talking about like in our lifetime. And that's kind of how I'm looking at this. So in the next 20 years to our lifetime, we have to take in consideration 50% of all the world debt would have to change. All network effects, including lending, pricing stability from the exchanges coming from our central bank to other countries to hold them would have to change. 63% um, of all holdings would have to change. And two, you would have to change it with something that is stronger than not only the dollar, the US economy, but our government structure. Before the candidates were, I mean, you really did have the euro, but 
after 2008, holy cow, did we see the problems with the euro. Um, you know, thank goodness for Germany. Um, but then you have countries like Britain, everybody leaving the euro, and it's just, it's not stable because you have all these countries that have totally different practices, totally different lending strategies, and we don't even know if they're going to be in there forever. So that, that I think, put a big damper on the euro. And two, the European economy has been extremely sluggish. Now, the German banks and uh, Germany in general is extremely strong, and they have been essentially floating Europe, and that's worked. The other thing, the uh, other country that comes to mind and everybody talks about is China. Um, now, China's economy is strong. It's going to get stronger. It's going to surpass the United States. It's just, that's economics. They're in a totally different phase than we are. Um, their consumer, their population are going to become consumers, and that's going to drive the biggest probably growth that our world has ever seen, just like we did in America. And, but with China, you have to remember that the reason the United States is a reserve currency is because people trust our central banking system. Our central banking system is aside from our political side. There's actually separation of powers. There's actually, we have rules of engagement we have to follow and governments are, our government is extremely limited on its rights. Um, those are the things we don't want to end, obviously, because that ends that. Where with what just happened in China and Hong Kong showed the world, China will use its power and it's going to use its power um, even against its people and definitely against foreign powers. So people get very nervous about that because they manipulate, right? And they are not transparent about information. Um, and it's us comes first. And there are no real outlining rules of engagement for their central banking system, except whatever they want. Um, that's scary for countries to have because it can change and it can change quickly. So with those things, and when you're looking at those kind of currencies and where we're at, who's going to step up and take in the next little bit over that currency and over America's standing in that, there's not a lot of good options. Um, and when people say, yeah, but look what's going on. Well, you need to remember that when 2008 happened and so far this year, only this year is second to 2008 in the largest dollar swaps in history, meaning every single country was coming out and wanting dollar, not every single country. Obviously I'm talking flippantly here, but we gave, we swapped out more dollars in 2008 and then we're almost surpassed it already in 2020, meaning dollar has is in huge demand. Yes, and we were seeing the rise in price, but it stabilized quickly. The network effect is still strong. People trust the dollar. So even in extreme times of crisis in our country and that other countries are having crisis, they still choose the dollar. Um, this is important because of our banking situations, how the central bank works. Now, I do believe that eventually the dollar will not be the reserve currency, but this is something that is going to take a long time to play out. There's not a light switch. So yes, this is why I'm ranting about it because I hear this a lot. And I think it's a very short term snapshot where you say we're in trouble and there's problems, which is true. There are problems, 
But with that said, there are problems everywhere. There's not some country that is perfect. There's not some country that is great at doing everything. Um, we have one of our largest problems is that, you know, our economy is never going to grow like it was. We're a consumer-based economy, the low-hanging economic fruit, so to speak, that we can process and take advantage of, a lot of that is gone now. And our birth rates are slowing. So the one indicator for every single country that has ever seen a continual downturn in their GDP is that their birth rates decline. No country can survive it. If you have negative birth rate growth, the only way or negative birth rates, the only way a country country can survive it is through mass immigration. So people coming. That's what stabilized our growth and population growth is through immigration. So as our birth rates have declined, immigration has remained strong and people keep coming, supply, demand. That's how economies grow and stay strong. Another thing that has helped America um, in general is innovation. We are extremely good at innovating, even though a lot of it is pointless like Facebook, and we still do a good job at it. Um, so we're making things for people to use. Um, and then we have a massive army to protect people in general. Uh, so when I'm looking at the short term, the whole point of this is you don't want to go. I see so many people that are like, they're making investment decisions. Like, eh, listen, I, I just don't know. You got China coming up and I mean, you know, this is happening and that, you know, this and that, and we may not be the reserve currency. And I'm kind of going, what the heck are you talking about? What does this matter? Like, you know, first of all, we have a good foundation. And yes, everything on top of the foundation may look like the house is on fire, but it's not going anywhere, not anytime soon. So make long-term investing decisions and plan around it. You know, you need to be looking 10, 20, 30 years out. Um, you need to be figuring out industries that will survive the test of time. Look, look at the people, look at what's happening and why people are making decisions. That's what you need to look at. It was clear that retail was overbuilt already before Amazon even came around. It was, you know, we knew that the economics of gyms, when we looked at how the users use it, I mean, you had increasing expenditures from lease rates, real estate gets more expensive. And then you have, um, and then you have pressure on chargeable rates that spread over time. We knew would was just going to just kill the gyms and then more or less disruptive technologies or whatever may come. So we got out of it because we go the long term of this the economics aren't favorable. In reverse, we got into storage when people, we didn't even tell people we got, we're in storage because people are like, why are you, why do you want to own a junkyard? That was kind of how, how it was viewed when we got started. And it was like, well, the long-term economics of this, as far as consumers being able to buy more and cheaper lending rates, all that works to buy more, consume more decentralization through technology whilst simultaneously increasing real estate prices bode well for renting out space. Um, we did not like office buildings because we weren't sure of the future of office space. So we sold our large office building. It's been five years, six years ago. Um, and we got out of that industry. And so everything we make, I make with an extremely long-term view. Um, and that's how you should look at your investing style, your principle, your approach. What do people need? And what is the infrastructure and the system to deploy that need? And how might that infrastructure system change? So is your business, is your investing strategy dependent on infrastructure that may not be long lasting? 
If so, then you may have a good product. How do you deploy it? On and on and on. So it's twofold. Like, what are you doing and what are the economics? As in, are, are the prices of the services that demand going to rise? And is the cost associated with delivering that good service or demand going to rise or fall? Right? And a lot of times you have business models that have inverse economics, as in, you know, one side's good and the other side's bad. Um, but right now it's really good. And uh, that's how I look at flipping. That's how I look at all of these things, which is, yeah, that may make you money, but that's really hard to build wealth at. You're, you're simply trading time with money and you're not compounding results. I want good infrastructure. I want to be built, able to build off it. And if you're trying to build large wealth and true financial freedom, that takes a lot of time. Don't underestimate the time and work that's going to go into this and the sacrifice that's going to need to be made. If you're making those kind of decisions off short-term short term things, then by the time you ever get there, it may be gone anyways. So look really hard at the 20 years, what's happening with the consumers. And if you don't understand why something has value and why something's making money, um, and two, if you think you understand, then first of all, question yourself. I do constantly. Um, uh, and I try to gather, you know, as many great minds around us as we can to tell us when we ask them, tell us why we're wrong, because we always are. Um, and it's through that process that you make mistakes and you go through, right? Um, so although we see there's a lot of chaos, and there's a lot of change going on, um, at the end of the day, the central bank Although it's taken on a lot of debt and we're confused about the time frame, well, in the next year, the next two years, will we continue to be in a recession? I don't know. I have no clue. I'm not investing for that. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm looking at opportunities. I'm investing the exact same way that I did at the top of the market, in the bottom of the market, and so on and so forth. As those markets fluctuate and change, my opportunities tend to. But other than that, we'll keep going with the same strategy, long-term principles. So United States as a whole, money keeps flocking here from other countries. Money pours out of other countries to invest in here. They buy our land, they buy our companies, they move here. And the reason is, is long-term stability. And uh, we in the United States think we have lots and lots of problems. Um, I have lived in third world countries um, and we do not have nearly as many problems as we think, but it's wonderful that we address those problems and we fight over them. That's what makes us great. So keep betting on yourself and on America and don't freeze up and don't stop because of short-term things, right? You should invest in long-term and you should act long-term. You shouldn't invest short-term and you shouldn't act short-term. Um, get rid of the noise, cut down to what's important and then set guidelines and rules for yourself and invest accordingly. That's, that's my advice for right now. That's my advice for this whole economic mess and all this noise. And I hope my rant was helpful for some of you. Um, once again, the reason it is, I talked to so many people, I talked to a lot of you guys and, um, these are reoccurring things that I think that I hear. Um, do you think the United States is a great place to invest in? What do you think about the dollar? What do you think is going to happen in the next year? Well, first of all, I don't know anything that's going to happen in the next year. I may not be here in the next year. Um, but I do know that it's by far the best 
It's the best location with the best long-term outlook to invest in. So if not here, then nowhere. And I don't believe in just doing nothing. And that's never a winning strategy for anyone. So there's always going to be risk. It's never going to go away. Your job is to manage risk, not eliminate risk. Identify the risk, identify if you can manage it and with if it's within your control and you can plan around it and then move forward. With that, everybody get out there and flip and just absolutely kill 2020. Make it your best year. Um, it's going to be mine. Uh, the more noise, the more people stop and the more opportunities you have because everybody else isn't chasing it. Don't forget that. Um, we've by far made more money in recessions and by make money in recessions, what I mean is we took advantage of opportunities and made money on the upside, which, okay, I don't mean to get on too many tangents, but this is an important thing to realize, um, and understand when you're talking about income inequality, it's never going to go away. And the reason being is there's two modes of generating income, time, assets. Assets have to appreciate before income can follow. So rich always get rich before their employees and everybody do, at least on paper, because assets have to inflate and incomes have to rise and revenues have to rise in the business in order to pay people and to pay them more. And that rise is exaggerated by leverage because you can buy businesses or sell businesses at three, four times or assets at multiple times. And so if it rises 10%, they're getting, you know, 50% increase in wealth while they're just now finally able to give you some money. So realize the economics on what makes you wealthy and what doesn't and invest along those lines, right? Invest. Why do rich get richer? It's not because there's money grabbing people and taking from other people. No, it's because they put their money in the right places. It's because they work on the right things and they do it in the long term. All right. I'm totally done, everybody. I'm not going to keep ranting. Thanks, everybody. I apologize for all the problems. Let us know, though, if this was at all helpful. And we have some great guests and we'll have Rock back on. So hope you guys didn't mind my rant and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at cashflow with the number two freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.